0: I want to invite you to open it with me to Proverbs chapter 2, as we consider this morning the value of wisdom, what it is worth and why. Now, as a means of a brief recap, uh, over the past uh, two weeks, we've been looking at chapter 1 of Proverbs, uh, where the wise father has been giving foundational instruction to his son. Two weeks ago, in the first half of chapter 1, the father warned his child not to be enticed by sinners into sin. And last week, in the second half of chapter 1, the father pointed his child instead towards the way of wisdom. And so what the father has done up to this point in his instruction is to remind us all of what is really one of the most basic and fundamental truths in all of life. That before us always lies two options, two roads, two paths, which lead us to two very different destinations one that leads to life and one that leads to death. And what's fascinating about this wise father's starting point is that this is ultimately where all moral instruction necessarily begins. In, in the didache, which is the, the very first writing that we have from the early church after uh, the writing of the scriptures, uh, didache means the teaching of the twelve apostles to the nations. Right, So it is basically uh, the summary of the New Testament teaching for the church. It was the church's first uh, uh, instruction manual for, for Christian discipleship. Uh, in that teaching, it opens in its very first sentence with these words. There are two ways, one of life and one of death. And there is a great difference between the two ways. And the first chapter then goes on to explain what constitutes the way of life and what constitutes the way of death. So this is where Christian instruction in the church began. But it isn't just the church who used this as a starting point for moral instruction and for spiritual formation. Long before the church ever existed, this is how the people of Israel were taught by their leader, Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, after God had established his people and given them his law, Moses summarized all that the Lord had instructed to them by saying, See, I have set before you today life and good and good. Death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God by loving the Lord, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commands, then you shall live. But if your heart turns away, and if you will not hear, then you shall surely perish. Here Moses is saying there's two ways, two paths, two roads that you can take in your life, one that leads to life and one that leads to death. Which will you choose? This is where teaching and wisdom and moral instruction necessarily begins. And the reason that it must begin here is because you cannot be wise in life if you continuously walk the way of the fool. You cannot flourish in your life if you continue to walk in ways that do you harm and bring destruction. Ultimately, you cannot live if you persist in the way of death. This is the foundational point for wisdom and morality and ultimately for life itself. It was the summation of the first sermon that God's people ever heard. It was the foundation for the first teaching that the early church received. It was the first option that the wise father ever laid before his son that he loved. And it remains true for you and for me to this very day. The truth of the matter is that this presentation of a way that leads to life and a way that leads to death doesn't just apply to the start of our instruction in wisdom and morality. But these options are before us in every moment of every day. I mean, think about the fact that all every day, all throughout the day, whenever we face any kind of choice... There are always basically two options before us for how we can respond, where we can choose a way of wisdom or we can choose the way of the fool, where we can choose the the way that is good or we can choose the way that is evil, where where we can choose the way that leads to life or we can choose the way that leads to death. Are you aware of this constant option that lies before you? Can you see the fork in the road that is ahead of you with every decision that you make? Will you use your words in each moment to build up or to tear down? Will you think thoughts throughout your day that contribute to your health and flourishing or that contribute to your sickness and decay? Will you make choices and undertake pursuits in your life uh, that ultimately lead to life and, or that ultimately lead to death? Even when there are a thousand options before you, they can can always be filtered down into one of these two categories. Will you make wise choices or foolish ones? Will you choose the path of life or will you choose the path of death? From the beginning of time, right up until this present moment, the wisdom of God calls us to choose life. In our passage today out of Proverbs chapter 2, we see why. As the wise father instructs his son on the value of wisdom and the wise path that leads to life. And what the father essentially does in this passage is he tells his son what wisdom is worth and why. Having placed before him two paths to consider, the father now tells his son how valuable the way of wisdom is and why he should pursue it. And so that's what we're going to consider this morning. Now in verses 1 through 5, the father shows his son the value of wisdom by repeatedly likening it to a treasure. In verse 1, he tells his son to treasure his commands. In verse 4, he tells him to, to seek after wisdom and understanding and insight as if it were silver, and to search for it as if it were a hidden treasure. And so, repeatedly, with this imagery of secret fortunes and precious metals, the Father likens wisdom to a treasure. And he tells his son that with the same excitement and fervor that one would seek after the riches of a hidden treasure, in the same way he should seek after wisdom. This brings to mind for me images of the the California gold rush of the 1800s. Where where people from around the world sold everything that they had in order to move to California with, with just the hopes of striking it Rich, right? They left everything else behind in their pursuit of treasure. Or it reminds me of the Indiana Jones movies, where the adventuring archaeologist travels to the far ends of the earth, risking life and limb as he seeks to gain the priceless treasure which he so greatly desires. There's no limit uh, to which he won't go in order to obtain his prize. This is how people seek after treasure. They give up everything in hopes of gaining even more. We see this in our gospel lesson from this morning, from Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus said that the kingdom of God was like a treasure hidden in a field. And then when a man found it, he, he gladly, gladly sold all that he had so that he could acquire the field. And gained the treasure that was hidden in it, or that it was like a pearl merchant who, when he found the pearl of great value, he sold all that he had so that he could buy that pearl. In all of these cases. But what the person desired was of such value to them that it was worth giving up anything and everything in order to obtain it. There's no price that's too much to pay. There's no cost that's too high to consider. Do you value wisdom and understanding like that? Do you treasure God's commands and hold them with that level of value in your life? Are you willing to pay that cost that is required to gain wisdom? This, the wise father is telling his son, is how valuable wisdom is. He says to treat it like a treasure. Seek it at all times. Obtain it at any cost. Give everything that you have in order to acquire it. That is the value that it has for your life. But why? Why would you give all that you have for something? Why would you spend all of your efforts on such a pursuit? The only reason anyone would ever do that is if they knew that what they were gaining was worth more than what they were giving. Right? The only way this pursuit makes sense is if the treasure that you receive is more valuable than the trade that you relinquish for it. What you get must be more valuable than what you give. And that is the case with the way of wisdom. No matter what you have to give in order to obtain it, it is worth it. And this is what we see in the second half of this passage. In verse 5 we're told that if you seek after wisdom this way, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. If you seek for wisdom like a treasure, you will find it. The wise father says, and then in the rest of the passage, we're shown the value that it brings to our lives as over and over again. We see that this wisdom of God serves to protect us. Look at how it's spoken of in the rest of this chapter in verse seven. God's wisdom is described as a shield to those who walk in integrity in verse eight. We see it guarding the path of justice watching over the way of sinners, of saints, sorry. In verse 11, we're told that the wisdom of God is a discretion, watching over you, and an understanding that will guard you. And in verses 12 and 16, obtaining the wisdom of God provides deliverance from various kinds of trouble. And so all throughout the back half of this passage, the father seeks to show his son the value of the way of wisdom and the protection that it provides for one's life. It's as if the wisdom of God is like a guardrail for our lives that keeps us squarely on the road and safely out of danger. It protects us in our lives while we are on Our journey. Now we often get this exactly wrong. Where rather than viewing the wisdom of God as a a guardrail of protection for our lives, we can often tend to view the wisdom of God more like a random fence that's in the middle of a field, that's arbitrarily placed, and which serves no real purpose. We can easily think that that, that God's ways don't make much sense. Or that a a random fence doesn't make much sense. And and we can often fail to understand why that fence is placed where it is placed. This leads us to tend to question God's wisdom rather than to seek after it. Or to minimize God's wisdom and the value of it rather than to maximize it. Or to disregard God's wisdom for our lives altogether rather than to submit ourselves to it. That's a stupid or pointless fence we often think. Why should we pay any attention to it? Sometimes we have an even more negative and skeptical view of God's wisdom. And we think not that it is merely randomly placed but that it is sadistically placed into our lives in order to keep us from something good or desirable this leads us to want to cross over the fence and to go to the place that is prohibited this was Adam and Eve's mistake in the garden but this isn't how the wisdom of God works at all it is never random or arbitrary and it never exists to withhold something good from us Instead, the wisdom of God always works like a guardrail that keeps us traveling safely and healthfully on the road of life. It's intended to keep us from flying off the road and ending up in a ditch or from crashing off of a cliff and ending up in a grave. And yes, sometimes the presence of a guardrail means that we need to slow down. Sometimes it means that we need to redirect the trajectory of our lives, the course that we are on. But those are small prices to pay for the benefit of staying on the road. If you asked any driver who's ever driven a car off of a road and caused a crash that took someone's life, they tell you there's no price that they wouldn't pay to have that moment back. They'd give anything for a second chance to slow down around that curve or to be warned by the presence of a guardrail. Let me give you another example straight from our passage this morning. In verse 16, the father instructs his son that wisdom will help to deliver him from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth words. Now for many... God's prohibitions against sexual immorality seem overly restrictive and often prudish. What's the big deal about sex? And when we don't understand its dangers, the allure of illicit sex can seem desirable and tempting. It doesn't seem like a little flirtation or a little encounter with a forbidden lover could be that bad, right? Our fantasizing about it makes us think that it might even be quite good. The problem is that we never take those fantasies far enough. You see, we fantasize about sin right up to the point of its fleeting pleasure. We fantasize about the anticipation and the excitement and the adrenaline that it gives right up to the point of its climax. And that's where our fantasy ends. And we think, that doesn't seem so bad. I might actually want to do that. But what we need to do is always fantasize a little further. We need to fantasize beyond the point of the fleeting pleasure of sin, all the way up to the guilt and the shame that comes afterwards. Fantasize all the way up to the point where your spouse finds out about it. All the way up to the point where your family is ruined because of it. All the way up to the point where your reputation is in tatters. Where your character is lost. Where your faith is wrecked. Where your soul is harmed. Was a moment of pleasure worth it? No. Never. If we were wise, we'd easily give up that fleeting moment of pleasure in order to keep all of those far more important and valuable things of our life intact. Our sacrifice of a a fleeting pleasure is a small price to pay to avoid the lasting pain of sin. This is why the wise father instructs his child to choose the path of wisdom. Because it will protect you in your life. In His wisdom, which includes His commands. God isn't keeping good things from us. He's giving something good to us. He isn't withholding something that could help us. He's protecting us from what will harm us. And so, in chapter 2 of Proverbs, the father instructs his child to seek wisdom like a treasure. Because he knows that it will shelter him from trouble. My question for you this morning is, are you listening to him? Are you heeding the wise father's advice? When you face the countless opportunities that lie before you today, will you give up whatever it costs to seek the path of wisdom and of life over and over again? And over again. You know, the hard reality for us as humans is that often our response to such a question is, yes, I want to do that. We want to walk the way of wisdom that leads to life. But when the moment comes, we so often choose the way of the fool. Our mind says that we want the thing that we know is right, but our flesh keeps pursuing the thing that we know is wrong. This is the great human dilemma that we want life, but we keep choosing for ourselves death instead. Paul in Romans chapter 7 depicts this dilemma perfectly when he says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the capability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. Does that sound familiar in your life? when Paul ultimately surrendered to the frustration of this reality, in the end he cried out, Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin and death? Who will save me from myself and the foolish decisions that I keep making, Paul is saying. The way Paul answers that question is ultimately though a declaration of the gospel. When he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. For in the end, Paul knew and he proclaims to us that the only way that someone ever ultimately changes. Is through the love of God that is made known to us through Jesus. The only way that we'll ever choose God and his ways is when we know that He has chosen us. The only way that we'll ever truly treasure Him and His wisdom and His ways is when you realize how much He treasures you. And isn't this the way that the Gospel works? That we love because He first loved us? Church, do you know how much God truly treasures you. Listen to what he has said of you. The people of God from Deuteronomy chapter 14. The word of God says that you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And that he has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. You are God's treasured Possession. You are what he values and cherishes and thinks about and delights in and treasures above all else. You are the hidden treasure from our gospel reading this morning, which God went and gave all that he had in order to obtain. You are the pearl of great price for which God, the pearl merchant, Sold all that He had in order to acquire. For upon the cross, God gave everything to make you His own. Jesus gave His very life in order that you might have life in Him and with Him. He paid it all in order to obtain you. And it's a price that He was happy to pay. He gladly paid it because you were worth it to Him. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that, that it was for the joy that was set before Him, that Jesus endured the cross. That joy was you, a redeemed and renewed and refined and restored you. His treasure, polished, beautiful. Do you know how much God loves you? You are his California gold rush for which he recklessly and passionately gave up everything in the hopes of gaining. You are his priceless artifact for which he journeyed into the depths of hell, giving life and limb in order to procure you. Do you know how much he loves you? When you do... Changes you. Changes your heart from the inside out. Makes you love Him above all things in return, in reply, in response. When we know how much He treasures us, we begin to treasure Him in reply. And that makes us want to follow Him. To the point that we no longer have to understand all of His laws. But we'll follow them anyway. Because we know that He loves us and cares for us. We no longer worry about what we have to give up in order to walk in His ways. Because we know that His ways are better by far. Church, this is ultimately how we choose the path of wisdom. This is how we walk in the ways of God. This is how we pick the path of life. Knowing that God has treasured us, we treasure Him. Knowing that He's given everything for us, we give everything for Him. Knowing that He has chosen us, we choose Him. May we do so. For God's glory and for our good. Amen.